Welcome to the Dayspring Audio Library, the teaching ministry of Pastor Daniel Rehoff. Thanks for joining us. We hope this message will have a powerful impact on your life. So sit back and enjoy today's time in the Word. The title of tonight's message is The Love of a Heavenly, Our Heavenly Father. And here's why there's a key word in there, it's Heavenly Father, because I don't think I'm the only person in this room who may or may not have had the best earthly dad. Um, I love him dearly, but for me, Father's Day is kind of like a mixed emotions. It's like, okay, it's almost like I'd rather see my mom happy Father's Day than my actual dad, but whatever, it's all good. And maybe some of you have that same experience too. But the really cool thing about our Heavenly Father is if your earthly father was either present or not present, was a good dad or a bad dad or whatever else, guess who can fill in all the gaps? Our Heavenly Father. And I think that's an awesome thing. And it, again, if you grew up and you're, you grew up in an, a really nice home, a godly parents, Christian home, they taught you all the right things, Kudos to you. That's, that is an awesome thing, and it really is. And I hope that as you become a parent, or you are a parent, that you can emulate those same things. But again, statistics show half of us in this room have parents who are divorced, separated, or whatever the situation is um, in this church, or even in society in general. So Father's Day is a, it can be a hard, just like Mother's Day, it can be a difficult day. So I want to just cover an interesting passage that you may have not thought about for Father's Day, and it's in Luke chapter 15, and it's the story of the prodigal son, and you're like, why are we talking about the prodigal son on Father's Day? Because the story of the prodigal son, which, again, you may or may not have read before or heard, it's obviously about a son who is lost, who comes back, he's found, and I was, it was actually interesting, the timing of this message, because I've been working on this message for a couple weeks now, and I had no idea I was going to speak tonight until yesterday. And it's Father's Day today. I'm like, oh, this is a very timely thing. Because I was actually starting to, I started out this message just really focusing on that lost son. And then I realized there is much more to this parable um, than we, I think we miss a lot of the, the meat of this parable, just reading over it quickly. And if you know what a parable is, a parable is just a, an earthly way to, tell about a spiritual matter. So Jesus used a lot of parables in his ministry, um, and in the context of this specific parable, he's in a group of, he's in a group of some people, and there's two different types of people in this group that Jesus is with. One is the sinners, and the second group is the righteous Pharisees. And if we turn to Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 2, I want to just Get some context here first before we really dive into this parable. Um, and the reason why we're talking about this on Father's Day is because these Pharisees are going to ask Jesus a very interesting question. And throughout his ministry, he was attacked over and over and over from these Pharisees. And the main reason why they attacked him was he's hanging out with these sinners. He's hanging out with these people that the Jewish leaders would have dismissed and said, no, I'm not going to even... I mean, literally, they wouldn't even talk to them, 
let alone be in their presence and sit and eat with them and go to their house and heal them and whatever else. I mean, the people that Jesus associated with are kind of like the people for us when you go to the Waukesha County Fair and you see some interesting people. That's kind of like the same thing in the Pharisees' eyes. But if you look at this verse 1 of Luke chapter 15, it says this, Then drew near unto him all the publicans, so that's the tax collectors, and all of us in this room love tax collectors, right? Like, I'm sure on your speed dial, you have the, the number of all the tax collectors in the area and the IRS, right? Like, they're our best friends, no? Okay. This must be funny, but apparently that's a really, apparently that's a really sore subject right now, um, which I totally understand. So they're all the publicans, which are the tax collectors, which again, to the Jewish people, the tax collectors are like the lowest of the low. For, I mean, for a good reason, too and sinners for to hear him. So there's Jesus, and he draws in all these sinners, all these tax collectors, sinners, I mean, people from all different walks of life. Verse 2, and the Pharisees and scribes, they murmured. So they're the people in the back who are just kind of mumbling and grumbling, like, why is he talking to them? Like, this is supposed to be a, a teacher of the law. This is Jesus. He's supposed to be a good guy, and he's drawing in all these sinners. And saying, this man receiveth sinners and eats with them. Verse 3, and then he, Jesus, spake a parable unto them and saying. So we're going to stop right there at verse 3. So Jesus is with these publicans and tax collectors. The Pharisees come and the scribes and they're murmuring and they're angry and they're wondering, why is Jesus talking to these people? And he's going to share three parables. Now, the parable of the prodigal son is a Theologically, it's actually kind of a difficult parable to preach about because if you open up most textbooks and most uh, commentaries, you're going to see a, a lot of different viewpoints of this prodigal son and really these three parables and how, how like, who is the prodigal son actually supposed to be in earthly terms? And so, I mean, you can ask my wife, I was going back and forth, back and forth, like, who is this prodigal son? And why does this matter on Father's Day? And why, why even talk about this son right now? Who is he? And if you open up most textbooks, they're going to say the story of the prodigal son is a story of a lost, unregenerate sinner who comes to the father and gets saved. And I'm going to tell you right now, that is not the case. And the reason why it's not the case is because it's missing really the reason why Jesus is sharing this parable. The prodigal son, for just, just so we're on the same page, I don't believe he was an unsaved person. I believe he was a child of God, which we'll see, who lost his fellowship with the Father and comes back and the fellowship is restored. And the reason why I'm saying that right now is because it's very easy to kind of get confused as you read these three parables. Again, there's a parable of the lost sheep, the one out of 99. The next one is the lost coin, so there's a one coin out of ten. But in those two parables, who is coming after, who is searching for those two things, the sheep and the coin? The shepherd's sheep are searching, and the woman who lost the coin is searching. So he's sharing these first two parables to say that Jesus, the Son of God, came to seek and save the lost, right? That's a true statement. But in this third parable, there's a shift. And the reason why there's a shift in his parable is because in this third parable of the prodigal son, was the father looking for him? 
No, and that's really, really important um, as we get this context. And actually, for context sake, too, um, it's Sunday night, it's a Bible study, so we're going to have a Bible study. Turn to Luke chapter 18 for context. Luke chapter 18, look at verses 9 through 14. And this is another parable that is very, very closely related to the parable of the prodigal son. And this is, again, Jesus talking about a publican or a tax collector to the Pharisees. And he says in verse 9, And he, Jesus, spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous. So he's, Jesus is sharing this parable to the Pharisees who are trusting in their own righteousness and despise others. So it's the same, I mean, basically the same group of people in verse 15. Two men went up to the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as is publican. So there's these two people. The one is the Pharisee who's praising God that he is not like the other man. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So Jesus says, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other one, for everyone that exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And the reason why I'm sharing this parable is because it's going to give us some more context of what he's saying in verse 15. Um, it's going to help us kind of just understand this more. Jesus is talking to two groups of people. There's the sinners that he receives, that's a key word, and there's the Pharisees who are murmuring and grumbling, and they're upset and they're angry. Why is Jesus hanging out with these sinners? And what does this have to do with the love of our Heavenly Father? Well, it has everything to do with the love of our, our Heavenly Father. Why did Jesus come to earth? To bring life, right? To seek and save the lost. Did Jesus come for the righteous? No, he came for the sinners. Did he come for the healthy? No, he came for the sick, right? He came to set us free. He came to show the love of his Father. And that's, that's really the main theme of these three parables. And we have to think context too. This is in a time the church is not around yet. Jesus is still in his earthly ministry. Um, if we start to really understand dispensations and all these other things, we're not going to go that deep. But we have to remember who is the audience? Who is the audience of this chapter? Who is the audience of this book? Right? This is the book of Luke. Who is Luke's main audience? Do you guys know? The Gentiles. That's his main audience, is the Gentiles. So as you, as you study the Bible, especially a difficult passage to me like this one, you have to ask yourself the key question, who is the audience and what is the main, what is the main thing Jesus is trying to get across? And we haven't even gone to the parable yet, but just think, who is the audience? The audience in this case, right in this passage, is two people. The sinners that are, he is, he is sitting and eating with and the Pharisees who are angry and upset that Jesus would have anything to do with that. All right? And this is, again, probably my favorite passage, even though it's a really difficult passage. Um, because like many of us in this room, including myself, even after I got saved, and this is key, I did not get better after I got saved. Like, there, there wasn't this magical, like, the second I got saved, I just stopped drinking, I stopped doing the wrong things, I stopped hanging out with the wrong people, right? I'll be honest, I did not have that miraculous conversion experience. And I wish I did. I wish the second I got saved, I got plugged into a good church, right? I, I gave up all the friends that I would party with, whatever else. That was not the case. 
And really, for three years after I got saved, it was pretty much the same story as this prodigal son, where I got saved, I had the quote-unquote inheritance, I knew I was going to heaven, but I wanted to live life my own way. And that was, that was true really from 19 to 22 in my life. I had everything, God had given me everything I needed, and yet I wanted to squander it and waste my life for three years. And we're going to see in this passage this shift in this young son's mindset. And there's a really cool verse we'll get to. But again, here's the parable. The parable is really about the father. And the reason why it's really about the father in this parable is because he's the only person in this parable who doesn't change. The son, actually both sons, we could say are prodigal sons. Both sons are prodigal sons for two different reasons. Um, but they're still his sons. There's never a dispute that these two sons are ever not his sons or were never his sons in the story. Does that make sense? Meaning, in the context of, again, you'll read any, like, I read a, a ton of commentaries on this. In the context of salvation versus service versus relationship versus position, these are, I'm just going to say, two saved people that were positionally in Christ, but were both very, very much apart from their father. Does that make sense? So let's get into this. Uh, Luke chapter 15, verse 11 through 16. Here we go. And he said a certain man had two sons. So now he's, we skipped over the other two parables for the sake of time. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of the goods that fall off to me. And he divided them unto his living. So this young son, for whatever reason, he doesn't give more detail, wants his father's inheritance. Now just imagine if you went to your living parents right now and said, hey, give me everything you have. Give me as much as you can. Would that be an awkward conversation? Yes. If you're just teens in this room who I can see are smiling and said to their parents, mom, dad, give me all you have. Give me everything that's supposed to be mine. That's going to be a very awkward conversation, right? Especially in the context of this culture. That was a big no-no. You don't do that in this culture. So what's interesting, though, is the father gives him it. He gives him the inheritance. And verse 13, And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together. So what it means by gathered all together is he literally took his inheritance, which could have been animals, it could have been land, I don't know what it was, and he makes it into cash. That's what it means to gather all together. So he literally takes all of his things and liquidizes it, and now he has a bunch of cash. And he is ready to live it up. Here we go. And took his journey into a far country. So this is like leaving Wisconsin and going to Illinois, right? Into a very far country. And then wasted his substance with riotous living. So he has everything. He's given, in, because there's an older brother, he's actually given one-third of the inheritance because the older brother would get two-thirds of it because the younger gets half of what the older gets. So this younger one makes all of his inheritance into cash, goes and lives a righteous life, which is basically like a party life. And we're going to, do you think this turned out well for him? Who thinks this story is going to go really, really good for this younger son? It's going to go awesome, right? No, it's not. Um, let's go, let's keep going. Verse 14. And when he had spent it all, so like that's not, I was not surprised to read that part. And when he had spent all, here's a the kicker. There arose a mighty famine in that land. So this young son spends everything he has, and now there's, there's COVID, right? And everything shuts down. Right? There's a mighty famine. No one has money. 
and thankfully most responsible citizens may have had a savings account. Do you think this son had a savings account for an emergency fund? No, because it says he spends all he has. So he went, verse 4, 15, he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. Literally, he had to sell himself to be a servant or almost a slave to a Gentile of that country. So again, picture context, Jesus is sharing this story to Jewish people, to religious leaders. I mean, their, their jaws had probably dropped by now. And he sent him, this is even better, he sent him into his fields to feed swine, pigs, right? Talk about the lowest of the lowest you could get. And it's not even over yet for this guy. It's not even over. Verse 16, and he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swines did eat. He literally wants to eat what the swines are eating, what the pigs are eating, and he can't. He doesn't have that much money. He can't even eat what the pigs are eating. And no man gave unto him. And for the sake of this message, we're not going to go more into detail with the young son, but just a side thing. For those of us who have maybe at one point lived the party wife or lived away from the father or even when you're unsaved, when you're with those people, with those friends, I'll be honest, those are not real friends. Those are not real friends. And the second that this young son loses all of his money, is anyone around to help him? No, no one's around to help him. It says no man gave unto him. He is on his own. He is on his own. And maybe that's where you've been at one point. Maybe that's where you see yourself heading, right? How do we experience the love of our Heavenly Father? And we'll get to this really quick for about 10 minutes. How do we experience the love of our Heavenly Father? The first thing we need to do is just literally take one step in the right direction. One step in the right direction. That is the first step to experiencing God's love. Look at the next verse. And when he came to himself, when he's literally fighting with pigs to get food and realized this is not a good life to live and I've pretty much, pretty much messed up my whole life. So literally when he came to his senses and realized, okay, I made some mistakes. I think I might have made a couple bad mistakes. He, so he starts, like the white bulb clicks in his head and he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread and enough to spare? So literally, the people that work for my father are living much better than I am. And I used to be his son, right? And to spare, and I perish of hunger. Literally, he is dying of hunger. He is dying of hunger. He is dying of hunger. So he starts to rehearse what he wants to say to his dad when he gets back. So he's, he's made up his mind, I need to go back. I need to go back. So he's going to start rehearsing this really thought-out speech. He's probably wrote down in his hand, right? It's ready to go. In verse 18, and he says, I will rise and go to my father. That's key. I will rise and go to my father, right? Which means he is his father's son. He is his father's son. And will say unto him, so this is what he has written down. Father, I have sinned against thee, right? I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I have sinned against heaven and before thee. Verse 19. And am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. So he's got it in his mind. The only way I'm getting back into my father's house is if he literally hires me to be an employee in his house. That is the only way he is going to get back and even talk to his dad. And that's, I mean, that's, that's what he's got written down. Okay, so I've sinned against thee, I've sinned against heaven, I'm sorry, right? He's got this all written out. 
Look at verse 20. So he arises, he literally gets up, or he's, and he starts physically walking. So that's that, he takes that first step, and he starts walking, and came to his father, and came to his father. And when he was yet great way off, his father, so imagine like the movies or whatever else, or just a picture, and you want a picture, there's, there's a guy sitting on his porch, and there's a, it's a big field, and there's a long dirt road, right? You guys picture that? And the dad or the parents just sitting there waiting, right? And then he sees the sun coming from far off, like in the distance. There's this haze, and he sees him coming. That's actually not how this went down, to be honest. Um, it's, it's actually much cooler than that. Here's where we really see the love of the Father. And he, so when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. So maybe his father was sitting there. But what's interesting, though, is his father saw him, which means what? His father was watching. And had, what's the next word? Compassion. And this is the kicker. And he ran. The father runs. If you're a rich person in this culture, you don't run. You hire people to run for you. You don't run. It's actually shameful for men in this culture who are rich and wealthy, who can afford to hire servants to run. Does his father care? Does he care? No, it says he had compassion and ran, and this is even better, and he doesn't trip, right? It's not like he fell. Oh, no. No, he runs. He's running, and it's kind of like, again, the movies, and there are people on the beach, and they're running towards each other in slow motion. It's not like that either, because he's actually running. It's not slow motion. He runs, and he literally embraces him, like bear hugs him. He's probably choking his son to death. He fell on his neck. That actually sounds like it hurts. He fell on his neck, and he kissed him. At this point in the story of the parable, these Jewish leaders are irate. They are angry. What in the world is Jesus talking about? This would never happen in this culture. What is he talking about? And that's, Jesus is making a point. This father would go out of his way. He has compassion. He doesn't care what the other people think. Why? Because he wants fellowship with his children. He wants fellowship with his children. He wants a relationship with his children. That is, I mean, you think about this in the context of the story. We talk about Father's Day. We talk about our Heavenly Father. I mean, that, that is love. That is love. And these Pharisees do not get it. And Jesus obviously knows exactly what he's going to be doing pretty soon. And he's going to show the ultimate sacrifice. And he's going to show what love really is. And that's sacrifice. And I wish I had more time. Can we go a little bit longer? We might. Verse 21. So here the son said unto him. We started like 10 minutes late, right? I started at 620. I got time. And the son said unto him, so here's, okay, he's got it written down. As he's bearing, like bear hugged by his dad, he's got to look at his hand. Father, I have sinned against heaven, and I have sinned against in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called. He's got this all written out, right? He must have, because he literally recited what he had said before. And before he can get to the next part of his speech, the father interrupts him, because the father does not care what the son has to say. In verse 22, the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe, this is really important, and put it on him, that's a symbol, and put a ring on his hand, that's another symbol, and shoes on his feet. Those are three very important symbols in this culture to show this son is fully restored, he's got 
he's got everything he, need, he needs. He is my son. I accept him back. He positionally, he is mine. He's always been mine, right? And he's going to show the world that, yes, this son is my son. The robe, the ring, the shoes, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. So, I mean, he's giving him the best meal, and let us eat. Because, again, this guy is dying of hunger at this point. He's probably hungry. He's probably like, Dad, you got to eat soon. I'm going to die. So he brings forth the fatted calf, and he kills it, and he, they eat, and they're having a party, and they're celebrating, right? Because this father was always watching his son, even though he let him go, he let him go, and that's a hard thing, right, to let, let your children grow. He let him go, he let the, his child learn from his mistakes, and that's hard, right? That is very hard, but that's a part of having the relationship that's, again, Jesus is showing the earthly relationship, but more importantly, the heavenly relationship, that we're not robots as children of God. We're not robots. We're not forced to do things. We have a free will. We can make our decisions. We can make good decisions. We can make bad decisions. The verse 24. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. Again, very important here. A lot of people will say, well, this son was spiritually dead, and now he's revived. Now he's regenerated. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, this son was dead. We, I mean, he literally thought his son was probably dead. But I mean, relationship-wise, there was no relationship. This son was dead, but now he's alive again. He is restored. He was lost and is found. That's key. He was lost and is found. Well, who found him? Think about that. And they began to be married. And they began to be married. Now here's, we're running out of time, but I need to say this too. There's another person in the story. You guys know who else is in the story that we haven't talked about yet? The other brother, the other son. Verse 25, Now the other son was in the field, and he came and drew nigh to the house, and he heard the music and dancing. So he's in the field, he's probably working hard. He's, I mean, he's doing what he needs to do, and he hears dancing and music in the background, and he calls one of the servants and says, What, what is going on here? What, what, what does this mean? And the servant said to him, Thy brother is come, and thy father have killed the fatted calf, because he received him safe and sound. That's cool. Number two, to have a relationship, to have a, really have the joy back in your relationship with your Heavenly Father is enjoy the relationship over checking boxes. Okay? Enjoy the relationship with your Heavenly Father over checking boxes. I love to make to-do lists. I love to make really easy things in my list so I can look accomplished. Do you know what's not on my to-do list? Is praying. Is reading the Bible. That's not my to-do list because I think God is a little bit over my to-do list. I could do better, right? I'm sure we, all, we could all do better. But do not make your relationship just part of your checklist. Okay, I read my Bible. Ch check, right? I prayed. Check, right? I did all these things. Check, 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 check. Is that a relationship? What if I said to my wife, or I only talked to her once on Sunday morning and maybe at Sunday night, and we didn't talk the rest of the week? What kind of relationship is that? Or my kids, right? We talked once a week. What kind of relationship is that? And I just said, well, I talked to you once, Greenwich. We'll see you again in uh, six days, right? Uh, Gabby and Liam, talked to you guys. Played with you on the floor once. Okay, I'll see you guys in four days, right? What kind of relationship is that? That is, <laughs> that is barely a relationship. And my wife would be very angry if that was the case. Uh, but here's the, here's the older brother, verse 28. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. This older brother is who? He is the Pharisees. He is the righteous one. 
He is the guy who says unto his father, These years do I serve thee, I have not transgressed at any time. Right? Verse 29, which is a lie. I mean, obviously he's, he's broken the law at least once. And you have never gave me a kid, a goat? You've never had a party for me? That I make merry of my friends? But as this thy son, he wouldn't even acknowledge his brother. He says, as this thy son was come, which had devoured thy living with harlots. He spent all he had, he wasted it. And you have a party for him? And you wouldn't have a party for me? Ouch. And can that be us sometimes? In church? At work? They get that blessing and I don't? I worked extra hard this week and they haven't acknowledged me? Right? Can that be us? Can that be our attitude? And what is that? This younger son, he leaves to a far land. So he physically leaves. This older son has always been there. But his heart was just as far away as the other son. He was just as far away as the other son. Because he was doing all these things to check the boxes. And really, he reveals his heart. And his heart was, I'm going to do all these things so, God, you will love me more. Or so the Father will love me more. The Father will give me this and do this and this and for me. And bless me. Is that a relationship? That's just someone who's trying to do things so their parent would give him more things, right? That's not a relationship. But what's interesting is, do you see the father rebuke this older son? No. And he says, look at this in verse 31. And the father said unto him, Son, yes, you were always with me. You were ever with me. And all that I have is yours. I mean, that, that is compassion. That father could have just said, get out of here, right? You're just as bad as the other one. He's, you see the compassion. He doesn't ridicule him. He doesn't belittle him. In verse 32, And it was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. If you find yourself in a rut, if you find yourself maybe just not having a good relationship with your heavenly father, Take that step towards him because it's very easy to drift and enjoy that relationship over rules. That is so important. In church, it's so easy to just get sucked into all these rules and just to think, I'm doing all these things and I'm following all these things. But that's not a relationship. A relationship is communication. It's prayer. It's reading what your Heavenly Father has, has to say to you today. Right? That's a relationship. It's sharing about God's love with other people. Right? It's sharing about who God is to other people. That's a relationship. Let me just read this and we'll be done here. It says, Our Heavenly Father's love is perfect. Nothing you could ever do can make him love you more. Nothing you could ever do can make him love you less. He loves you with a perfect love. And so, no matter why you left, no matter where you went, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've become, your Heavenly Father wants a relationship and fellowship with you today. He is waiting to forgive you and he's ready, and he's always there to love you. Have you drifted? Are you drifting? That's up to you to know. Are you drifting? Are you just checking the boxes every day? Or are you really having a real, a real relationship with your Heavenly Father? Think about that. And for those of us in this room who have an awesome dad, or not an awesome dad, if they're still around, just call them anyways. Just call them anyways. I need to, I need to do it tonight, actually. Um, because it doesn't matter at the end of the day. Um, and here's this 
one little quick thing, I'll be done. For those of us in this room who, are, who do have a dad who is godly, who is there for you, who's always been there for you, let me just say this. I am jealous of you. I'll be honest. I'm jealous of you. Um, and I've, I've seen people, especially in the last eight to nine years, who have had godly parents, who have been just like this prodigal son, who have strayed. And to me, it's mind-boggling. Like, how could you ever do that? How could you? I mean, these parents loved you. You had two parents in the house, and they gave you everything you needed. And then I realized, oh, wait, that's me too, with my own Heavenly Father, all the time, right? That's me too, and that's us all, all the time. Just think about that too. I mean, be grateful for what you have. Be grateful where you have. And if you don't have that perfect father, if you don't have a father in the picture, guess what? You have a Heavenly Father. All of us in this room have the same Heavenly Father. Amen? We all have the same Heavenly Father. His love is perfect. His love is perfect. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the study. Thank you for this parable. Thank you for showing us that it's so easy to be like these Pharisees, to think that, well, it's just rules and we're doing all these good things and you love us more, but that's not the case. And that's what you're showing us in this parable, that your love is compassionate. Your love, it doesn't matter. I mean, it doesn't even make sense. And that's what the parable is about that it just transcends all of our understanding. And you're there, and you love the sinners, you love us. And that's where you came. You came here to seek and save that which is lost. And even for your children today who are straying, those who are saved, that you just want them back. You just want them back. And you're ready with open arms to run back towards them. And all they have to do is take that one step, and it may let us someday in the future, and we start drifting, and we think, God can never love me again. Yes, he can, and you've shown that in this parable. Pray for the rest of this night in Jesus' name. We are very interested in you and your spiritual growth. If you want to contact Dayspring for prayer or more information, you can reach us at 262 404-5092 or on the web at dayspringbaptist.com Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.